so much sort of zeal and desire to see our children succeed. But I, I think, to be honest with you, some of us, especially as parents, we get to the point where maybe we've just had a few knocks along the way and we just think, well, we don't even think. We just kind of settle down into a little bit of a, mon- not, not monotony, but we just settle into a routine. And I think the danger is for us as adults is that we, we settle for something less than what God has actually called us to do. We settle for the, the nine to five and we think that's all there is going to be for me from now on. And I believe wholeheartedly that God is not done with you yet. Can I hear an amen? God is not done. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, God is not done. He's not done with the old dog yet. There is more. There is more. Ephesians 3.20 says, Glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Isn't that great? Infinitely more. See, the thing is, we set our imagination, we set our dream here. But God's saying, I can do infinitely more than you could ask or think. And I want to break that off you today. I want you to start thinking a little bigger again. Start dreaming bigger again. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a character from the Old Testament, King David. I'm sure many of you are familiar with his life. And Unfortunately, I don't have the time to dissect all of the stories. I'm just going to allude to some of them as we, um, as we progress today. But there's a telling line about King David that's found in the book of Acts. So it's written in the New Testament about an Old Testament character. And uh, Luke says this, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. When David had done everything that God had called him to do, That was done. He was done. He fulfilled everything in his life that he was supposed to fulfill. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind at all having that on my tombstone. Now, you and Blakey fulfilled all that he was supposed to do on the earth, and then he fell asleep. Laura Stone fulfilled all that she was supposed to do on this earth. That Ben Williams did all that he was supposed to do on this earth, and then he fell asleep. How amazing would that be to do all that God had called you to do? So that's why I've chosen David as our, um, as our study person today. What can we learn from his life? Because I believe that God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And it goes way even before you were born. God has a plan for your life before you existed. He said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew or chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart. You are special. You are significant in the sight of God. He has a plan for your life. Like we prayed before, Ephesians 2.9. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for you in advance. If that doesn't make you feel secure, I don't know what does. God has a plan for your life. You're not just biology. You're not just random. You know, and... You know, your parents might have said something along the lines of, well, we didn't plan you, you, weren't, you were a little mistake. You know, and people say things along the way that make you question. But God is not like that. He planned your life. You need to get that from the start. He planned your life. He's got something special for your life. So I want us to get back to understanding and believing the plans and the purposes for your life. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at four things from David's life that we can learn, starting with four destiny killers 
four bad things, if you like, that, that David experienced that weren't good for his calling and his destiny. <clears throat> okay, you ready for this? Number one. First thing, first destiny killer is fear. Fear is a killer. My goodness, fear is like quicksand. Fear has the power, if we allow it to, to actually stop us in our tracks from stepping forward into all, the, all that God has for our lives. Fear has a powerful hold on our minds. Such, such a powerful grip that can stop you from even taking your very first step. And sometimes there are words that have been spoken over you, maybe by a parent, maybe just in passing, but just have, have had a trap. They've like trapped themselves in your mind. And you can't get past it. And every time you go to take a step forward, you hear this echo in your head. No, you're not good enough. Remember what people said. You've got, you don't have what it takes. You're not strong enough. And you almost start to think, it's catching up with me. The fear is catching up. They're, they're going to find me out any second now. They're going to realize that I shouldn't even be here. And fear has that power over our lives. And, you know, if you want to take uh, the example from King David, he encountered fear. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? David fights Goliath, the giant. And David comes into this scene. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but he comes into this scene where he wasn't really invited into the scene to make decisions over the destiny of, of his nation, but that's the way it turned out. He comes into this scene and, and the two enemy camps, the Israelites and the Philistines, were camped on two hills opposing one another. Crazy thing was that they'd been there for six weeks, just, just doing nothing, just paralyzed, just doing nothing whatsoever. And David comes into this scene. It's like everyone was paralyzed with fear because they saw Goliath and he was a huge guy. Some say he was nine feet tall. He's this huge guy and they were so intimidated and he was calling out threats day and night. And though everyone was so intimidated, and David comes in, he could have allowed fear. You know when you walk into a room and it just is full of negativity or full of fear? And it's easy for you to go, oh, well, I'll just co-opt into, into that environment. But David's example was just, he came with the opposite spirit. And I want to read to you what he had to say back to Goliath. He goes, you come to me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord, the Lord, keynote, will conquer you. And then he says, and I'll kill you and cut off your head. Just as a side note, you do what you do. The Lord's going to conquer you, but I'm going to do something too. I'm going to cut your head off just so you know that you're going to be dead. Isn't that an incredible pushing against the spirit of the day, pushing against the atmosphere that he walked himself into. Fear, <clears throat> one of my favorite sayings about fear is this, that the dogs of doom stand at the doorway of destiny. The dogs of doom, and that, that means a lot to me because they're like these aggressive sounding voices in my head standing in the way of me stepping into what I'm called to do. But that's all they are. Their bark is always worse than their bite. And if we'd spend too much time listening to those voices yapping in our ears, telling us how it can't be done, telling us that we're not good enough, we can easily believe it. But it is just a vapor. It's just a voice. 
Paul says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So great. And I want to encourage you today that you can overcome fear. In fact, God has prescribed it for your life to walk through fear, to not back out of it, to not run away from it, to walk through it and overcome it. But you can't do it on your own. You can't do it in your own strength. God has a, has a way. He said, you can do it in my strength. And as David said, the Lord is going to conquer you. David did it in harmony with, with God's power on his side. And you can't win the war of fear with fear on your own. But if you can do it, you can do it in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life. Point number two is this, that we can be easily distracted from our calling. So easy to be distracted, especially in this modern world. Amen? You understand that this world is so full of distractions, things that can draw us away. In fact, I've got a little, you know, the internet, my goodness. The internet is so full of distractions, isn't it? Little kittens. <laughs> uh, I did get distracted the other day as I was preparing, so I've got a little uh, video for your distraction. Oh, <laughs> so cute. <laughs> just want to watch it again and again. <laughs> As they obviously had, you know, lots of entertainment watching that. So there are um, <coughs> so many distractions out there, things that will draw us away. And, you know, some of the things are just silly. But, and, you know, the example of using uh, social media as well, you know, you just go on there to check something and then next minute, oh, they're a friend of such and such. Oh, look at that photo. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I didn't know they were doing that. And so, oh, look, and they're family members with this person. Oh, that's a nice photo. And so before you know it, an hour's gone by. Time just sort of eclipses um, because of these distractions that we find in our lives. Some of those distractions are harmless uh, like the cute little vi uh, kitten videos. But there are other things that can distract us that actually pull us away from the call that God has on our life. They, it's so easy for us to be distracted. <clears throat> so again, let's go back to David. And he had a moment of distraction. And I, and I wondered too, and maybe I'll, I'll ask you this question in a sec, but David had decided to not go to war. And he found himself with a bit of spare time on his hands. So he was open already to being distracted. And I think that's the key phrase right there. He was open to being distracted. And so as the story goes, he was walking along one afternoon after his afternoon siesta. He was walking along the, uh, the palace walls and he looked over and he saw this beautiful woman. She was having an outdoor shower and he saw her and he desired her and he wanted her and he took her and he slept with her. So what started out as an innocent walk on the, on the city walls turned into adultery. And the, the story just escalated, and that's the thing with distractions. They start out innocent, and they escalate, and they escalate. And before you know it, something crazy is going on. And David, in an attempt to kind of clear his, clear his name and, and keep, his, keep his secret, he actually it escalated all the way to him murdering that woman's uh, husband. And it's so easy how things can escalate if it's in our heart to do so. He should have been out at war. He should have actually been doing what he was supposed to be doing. And um, I've got a, uh, just a second passage, <coughs> Second Samuel describes it. It says, In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David 
sent Joab the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. He should have been out there. His purpose, his destiny was out there fighting wars and doing battles. But he just got a bit sick of that, you know? All the chop, chop, chop and the blood. You know, and the blood gets under your fingernails and you've got to wash your tunic again. It's like, oh, do I have to? And so he just decided to himself, I'm just going to pull away. Look, I'm going to have a week off. I, I need a bit of me time. I, I just need a bit of, I need to nourish my soul. You know, and he had this attitude of like, I'm going to pull away from my destiny. And you think on the surface of it, that would be fine. But it's so easy. It's really about the, the attitude or the nature of the heart. What's the heart saying? What's, what's my heart saying to me? Because we cloud it with stuff like, oh, I'm burned out, you know, oh, I'm doing too much. But really, there's, there's a deeper reason behind all of that. And that's what I want to encourage you to get at. So what's distracting you right now? What's in your world that's kind of a potential distraction? I can guarantee you every single person in this room instantly knows the distractions that can grab you. I know straight away. The things that are going to distract me and take me away from what I'm really supposed to be doing. And the other question you've got to ask yourself, maybe a little deeper question, is why? Why am I open to being distracted right now? Why am I willing to be taken away? And that's really what those, dis- those distractions in themselves are not necessarily wrong, but it's like the ha- attitude of the heart. What's going on right here? And the next question is, is it worth it? Or is it going to be worth it? 99 times out of 100, it's not. It's a distraction that will take you away or pull you away from what God has for your life. Okay, we've got two more points. The next one is, these two next ones are really positive. They're destiny boosters. The things that are going to help you in your way forward with God. And David's example was, his lifestyle was one of devotion. He was devoted to God. And, you know, everywhere you, everywhere you read about David's life, he lives this devoted life. He lives a life of giving himself to the presence of God. In fact, he wrote about half of the book of Psalms. There's about 150 Psalms, and he wrote about half of them. He was a guy devoted to the presence of God in a time where that just was unprecedented. That just didn't take place. He grew up in a world where you approached God through making a sacrifice, like an animal sacrifice, a burnt offering. That's the way they worshipped and approached God. And David comes in just completely different and says, God, I want relationship with you. I want to be connected on a hard level with God. And so he develops this method, this way of worship, which was, had never been seen before. It was brand new. And he really laid the way for us, our modern worship that we do today. But David learned to connect to God. In fact, God for him became his touchstone. If he was going through a hard time, a difficult time, he cried out to God. If he was celebrating his victories, he would declare to God how good God is in his life. In every part of his life, in every phase of his life, he wanted to connect with God. In fact, Psalm 57 says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. Don't you love that? God will fulfill his purpose. David understood that to be connected to his purpose meant being connected to his God. So easy. So easy. If you're floundering right now, if you're not sure, just get yourself connected to the heart of God. 
It's one step after the other and you'll discover, you'll discover the purposes that God has for your life. The last thing that we see from David's life is one of trust. He learns to live a simple life of trusting God for his next step. And uh, the story goes that David was just, you know, the farm boy. He was the, the shepherd out in the hills, the youngest son in the family, and he was out almost forgotten. There was something about David that, that wasn't cool like the other brothers. They were all strong and physically good-looking. David was out there, says in the Bible that he had beautiful eyes. You know, it's something that a mother says to a son. You know, oh, he's got beautiful eyes. It's like discounting all the other stuff. Oh, yeah, but, you know, he's got the monobrow, but, oh, he's got beautiful eyes. <laughs> David was special in the sight of God, no matter what his appearance. And Samuel, 1 Samuel 16 says, The Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord, and that was referring to the oldest brother, the Lord doesn't see things the, the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And God was drawn to the heart of David. There was something about him that God was drawn to. And one of the things was David's just willingness to trust God for his next step. So the story goes, David, uh, Samuel went on and he anointed David as the next king. David, probably no more than a young teenager, anointed to be the next king of Israel. Can you imagine the, the dining room conversation? I was just trying to picture it in my head, what would have been going on right now. The, the prophet storms in, all the brothers are there, everyone's there. David gets the anointing oil, he's declared the next king, and he probably walks back out again, and everyone's just standing there like, staring at their sandals, going, so, so what now? And David's like, um, all right, well, I'm going to go now. And basically, there's nothing else said. He just goes out back to the sheep. Can you imagine this momentous moment? God has spoken this promise. You're going to be the king. It's not like, okay, here's the fast track king school or, you know, we've got to get you signed up. None of that. It was just like back to doing what you do. He was so unaware. He just went, went back to throwing his sling and his stone and, you know, chasing off the, the predators for the sheep. He would just kept being a shepherd. As simple as that. Little knowing, little knowing that those skills that he was developing would stand him in good stead for the destiny that laid before him. Isn't that amazing? There is due diligence, there is due process that all of us need to go through in stepping toward the calling that God has on our life. God has a plan and He has got a way of working it out for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know what I'm doing, says God. I know what I'm doing. I've got it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. I love that. Do you think that David, as he was shepherding those sheep and treading in sheep poo and uh, stinky sheep in his way, do you think he was thinking to himself, yes, yay, this is my destiny, this is my calling? I don't think so. But was he complaining about it? No. But he was, uh, he was willing to trust God in the process. Can you see the point I'm trying to get here right now? Trust God in the process. You might find yourself right now in a job or in a 
stage of life that does not excite you. It is not fun. There's nothing wonderful about this right now. I'm so far away from the dream that I have in my heart. If you are willing to go on a journey with God, I believe 100% that God will lead you at the right time and step you toward the thing that He has for your life. The life that we live is one of movement. And Jesus said it this way so wonderfully well. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, He says, Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. Walk with me, work with me. It's a movement. It's a thing of movement. Walk with me, work with me. Walk with me, work with me. You're moving. You're always moving. You're always moving. You're always taking the next step. You're always taking the next step. If you stand still, so often we say to ourselves, well, I'm just taking a break. I'm, I'm just not going to step forward right now. The danger of not stepping forward, the danger of being static is not that you stay still. It's actually that you start going backwards. Do you like that? You're going backwards. You're going backwards. It's so easy to think that I'm just I'm actually staying still, but you're not. It's so easy to start drifting backwards. I would encourage you to take the next step. To take the next step. Just take any step. Don't be ground by fear. Don't allow fear to envelop you to stop you even taking a step. In fact, it's probably better to take a step, even if it's a stumble, than to, is to take no step whatsoever. So I encourage you today to ask yourself this simple question. What's your next step? In your life, what's your next step? What can you do? Hey, understand this. Okay, I can't plan out my whole life. I can't work out all the steps to get me toward where I want to go. But maybe, just maybe, I can take care of what I'm supposed to take care of and God can take care of what He's supposed to take care of. Can we trust Him with that? I believe that's the only way we can do it. Because you really can't engineer your life. Five-year plans are awesome, but honestly, they turn out way different than you expect. Just do what God's called you to do. So what's your next step? What is your personal next step? What do you need to do next? Is it stepping away from a distraction? Is it overcoming a fear? Is it developing a life of devotion with God? Is it dealing with temptation? Is it just something as simple as learning to eat more healthily? Learning to, learning to develop some exercise routines into your life, some healthy habits. There is something that each and every one of you can do, no matter where you are. Don't care if you're three or 103. There is something that you can do next. So ask yourself, what's my next step? What's my next step? If you know that and you go, yep, that's me. I know I need to make a change. I need to. I would encourage you to tell somebody. Tell someone who loves you. Tell someone who tr you can trust. Because once you get it out in the open, it's declared. So I don't know about you, but if I say it out, ugh. I can't take it back. It's there. Everyone knows. 
And all of a sudden you think, well, that, I've told that person now, so I better kind of keep up with my side of the bargain. I said I was going to do that thing, so I really need to start doing it. If you want to turn your good intentions into something more concrete, like an action, something real that's going to take you as a step forward in your life, I would encourage you to speak it out and tell somebody. What do you want on your tombstone? What do you want written? That you served God and you fulfilled all the the things that he had for your life, for your generation? Or was it like, well, they kind of settled for second best and mediocrity was okay with them? You know, that's fine. If that's what you want written on your tombstone... But if you want something more, if you know deep down there's something more for you, I would encourage you to take that next step today. Not tomorrow, not like next month, next year, right now. Make that decision. Why don't we pray? Let's bow our heads. I just want to issue a a simple... Um, invitation to you that if you've never walked with Jesus Christ before, if you've never know what it is when he says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. If that is strange words to you and you feel like you need somebody to walk with, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to come to the Father, you must come through me. If you want that sort of life, you can have it. You can have it in Jesus Christ. 